Welcome to the Mixtape. I'm Valerie. And I'm Maggie. Thank you for joining us for episode two. We're so happy to have you back. We hope you enjoyed the conversation with Julie and Patty. And if this is your first time listening to us, be sure to check out our premiere episode that debuted last week. Yeah, so since you heard from us last, we have had quite some big things happening in the mixed talent realm. We are actually saying goodbye to our first home. We have outgrown it, so good problems to have. And we are phasing out into our new home. So we will keep you posted on updates from our new podcast studio. Yeah, so more to come there. And we also had a chance to get together this weekend for our folks in Ohio. We held a tailgate for an OSU game, and it was a great time to come together and meet some new faces, see some old faces, and just um, catch up with everybody. Yeah, and I think that kind of ties in on last week's topic of returning to the office, you know, also returning to um, out of office events. So it was really great for everyone to be able to get together. Like I said, we've grown quite a bit over the last year. So a lot of people have not even gotten a chance to meet face to face. So definitely a very exciting time. Um, and then today we have an interesting conversation from a very cool husband and wife duo, Chad and Lauren Thompson. Chad is a principal at Mixed Talent, leading our consulting and assessment practice. He is an industrial organizational psychologist by trade with over a decade of experience as an assessment consultant within the life science industry. And his wife, Lauren, who's basically a Jane of all trades, has had a career in pharmaceutical and medical device sales. She's been a public school teacher, a special ed teacher, a graduation coach, and a school administrator. Lauren has a Master's of Applied Positive Psychology from the University of Pennsylvania, and outside of her role in education, she works with organizations and athletic teams of all types and sizes to help build their resilience and well-being. Yeah, Val, and I think you really hit the nail on the head with Lauren being a Jane of all trades. It seems like she's had her hands on a little bit of everything within the educational realm. Um, So today, the Thompson Duo will be discussing one of my favorite topics that I've learned about while at Mix, and that is grit and resilience. So they will be giving insight into the actions leaders can take to build and maintain resilience on their teams and to create a positive organization, as well as explaining that grit and resilience are something that can be developed over time and not necessarily something that you're just born with. I totally agree, Maggie. This is one of my favorite topics that we've learned about, too. And in addition, they're also going to be diving into the practice of positive psychology and that acknowledging when things are difficult and planning for what could go wrong is a highly adaptive strategy, which is a great reminder and especially relevant in today's constantly changing times. Yes, I would say the last uh, 12 months have certainly been constantly changing. So without further ado, let's dive in. Here is Chad and Lauren in their take on grit and resilience in the workplace. Uh, I'm Chad Thompson, the head of consulting and assessment here at Mixed Talent. I'm joined by Lauren Snyder Thompson. I am an assistant principal and uh, in outside of Ann Arbor, Michigan, and founder of Ascent Leadership Learning. Awesome. Topic today, really wanted to focus on perseverance, resilience, grit, lots of different terms associated with probably a similar topic. Mm-hmm. Always important, uh, probably even more so after the last 15, 16 months of what we've all been through. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just wanted to have a conversation with an expert on the topic, uh, my wife, Lauren. Lauren, talk to me about how you got interested in this topic uh, in from a kind of an academic study research perspective? So um, 
I work with primarily at-risk students, and before I was an assistant principal, I was a special education teacher um, and really started to wonder why some of my students who came from nothing could succeed and do really well in life, and some of my students who were given everything in the entire world could not in some situations. So I wanted to know what was it about my students that made them either kind of make it and be resilient in the world um, and, and what was holding them back. So that's what led me to the Masters of Applied Positive Psychology program at University of Pennsylvania was kind of that question. Awesome. And so I'm familiar with obviously the, uh, the concept of positive psychology. Um, my background, as you know, of course, is industrial organizational psychologist, mm -hmm. which essentially is the study of human beings and their behavior in a work context. Um, positive psychology, one of the newer areas of psychology, give a little bit of background both on that as a as a subject and then the program at Penn. Yeah. So um, Marty Seligman or Martin Seligman is the kind of father of positive psychology. Um, he was the president of the American Psychological Association a, a while back. He's the founder of the program at Penn as well. Um, and basically the gist of positive psychology is we, instead of looking at deficits, right? In normal psychology, it's deficit-based. We're looking at what's wrong and then how you fix it. In positive psych psychology, we're looking at what's right, what's going well, and how can we build upon the strengths of people? And so... Um, there is one program in the in the United States, and that's at the University of Pennsylvania, um, and where Marty Seligman is still a professor in the program. Um, so I went out on a, on the ledge and put myself out there and applied for the program a few years ago. Um, I was a student in 2017-2018, um, where I was able to study under Marty Seligman, Angela Duckworth, James Powelski, Karen Rivich, incredible, incredible professors at Penn. And there we really look at all the different aspects of well-being, um, the components of it, and then the components of resilience, grit, and that type of thing. Got it. Yeah. And now I'm an assistant instructor in that program where I help teach positive education and also the perspectives of well-being. Excellent. And then your work at Ascent kind of centers around what? What type of things are you helping organizations do, think through, get better at? One of my favorite things to talk about is um, how you can kind of create positive ecosystems within your organizations, um, as well as then make well-being a priority within your organization. Because people that are well, people that are flourishing, those are the people that are going to be your high performers, they're going to be the most engaged people that you have in your organization. So I love working on that. And I also, in higher ed, really enjoy working on um, beefing up the resilience of our college students um, and improving their grit and resilience so that they can kind of enter the organizations outside of, high, outside of college in a kind of flourishing and thriving way. Excellent. Good. I think it's always important that we define some terms. Sure. Um, some of these, I think, are probably, in some people's minds, maybe more similar than they actually are mm -hmm. if you are deep as in, as deep into it as you are. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about grit. Like, what is, how is that defined? What is that? What does gritty behavior look like? And then we'll go into a couple other from there. Right. So, so Angela Duckworth is like, you know, the guru of grit. And she would describe it as its passion and perseverance for long-term goals. Um, so grit is more of like 
a longer thing. You have something in mind. I knew I wanted to eventually get my doctorate and I am 39 and just now reaching that goal for myself, but it's something that I stuck to and I really, really wanted. It's something I was passionate about. I weathered the storm and I'm still here. So grit is that, that it is the having the passion for something and then sticking with it, regardless of the kind of downfalls you have along the way. Okay. And how is that similar or different to resilience? So resilience is um, kind of the everyday grind of life. So it's bouncing back when things don't go your way. So, you know, when you're in the pursuit of some kind of goal, inevitably things don't go the way that you want. And so it's the way of being able to bounce back and become, come back to the goals that you were wanting to pursue in a productive way. Got it. So, and we've talked about this quite a bit, but one of the ways, you know, we see resilience in the pharma and biotech space in particular mm -hmm. on the commercial side is in, is in sales, right? right? Yeah. Um, probably different reasons that this idea of resilience is important for different kinds of sales. Um, if you're selling a branded product in a heavily genericized market, mm -hmm. probably a different type of resilience because that's a tough market to sell in. Right. Um, if you're selling a first in product or first in market product, um, maybe there's a buy and bill component that has a lot of pull through on the back end. Obviously, that can be challenging for its own reasons. Yeah. Um, you actually started your career in pharma and biotech sales. I did. Um, kind of, how do you think about that? Did, did, were you thinking about being resilient at that time? Did you feel it need to be resilient when you were, you know, banging out a thousand phone calls a day as an inside sales rep? What did that? What did that look like? Yeah. So I started my career as an inside sales rep, um, and you do you you know. If you think it's difficult having to walk into an office and have the door slammed in your face over and over again, it's even more difficult when they can just hang up on you. It's easier. It's much easier to hang up a phone than it is to close the door. So, yeah, I mean, that is a huge component of that. I think this might be a perception I have of drug reps, but usually you have pretty competitive people in, in that area. And so I think competitiveness drives your resilience in that way. There's a there's a goal. There's passion. There's that you have there is grit there. There, there needs to be. You have right. a long-term goal that you're trying to fulfill, and then when you're doing that actively every single day, resilience is a huge component of that. If you're not a resilient rep, you're not going to make very good progress in what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. So I definitely think it, it, it's a major component, I believe, of sales, especially in pharma. And so you talked about sort of this idea of flourishing, right? It's kind of the end goal of positive psychology. Yeah. How would you describe flourishing? I've heard you say well-being in the mm. past as well. Um, kind of what does that look like? How should people think about human flourishing or just well-being in general? Yeah, so um, Seligman, again, kind of defines well-being as a as like a, a component. So there's, it's called the PERMA model. And so you have positive emotions, you have engagement, relationships, um, meaning and accomplishment. And when you have all five of those things, right, there's five, right? I think you got five. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you have all those five things in your life and you, f they're all kind of, you're g functioning on all cylinders, then you're probably flourishing at that point. But what's amazing about that model is that you can really hone in on areas of your life or parts of you at work that you feel like you need to beef up to either become more resilient or to thrive or to be to flourish in your work. So for me, relationships has always been a huge component of my ability to flourish 
or work, especially in pharma sales, relationships was what drove me in, in that profession. And so I really honed in on that, not really knowing about PERMA at the time, but that's where I honed in in order to really get the biggest bang for my buck with resilience and well-being. Gotcha. And so if you think about, you know, kind of this traditional old nature versus nurture argument, mm-hmm. right? I think if we were to talk to our clients or just talk to people day to day about this idea of grit or resilience or perseverance, um, as we've talked about, you know, you may get, get some people just say, I'm just not a very resilient person. I'm just not very gritty. Right. Yeah. Um, I know one of the cool things that you and I've talked about quite a bit is like, this is not a, you know, ingrained natural kind of thing, right? You maybe are oriented more one direction or the other, but this is like a trainable, developable sort of thing in some ways, right? Um, kind of, if you were th- listening to this and thinking about how do I become more resilient, everyone I would imagine wants to become more resilient, right? Um, what kind of things should people be thinking about in terms of things they can do, mindsets they can have? Um, traps they can avoid that would help them be more resilient and actually build that muscle or that skill. Yeah. So I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions about well-being and resilience is that you're either born with it or you're not. It's this either or situation. And you'll see, you'll see that in, in parenting with kids like, oh, well, that kid's just really tough or look at the toughness in that kid that, you know, they're just born with it. And that's the, it's completely false. There is a genetic component, but the, the majority of it is things that you can build on your own and with other people. So the way that we tend to do this or the science has shown uh, the Penn Resiliency Program works on building the protective factors of people in general. So there's multiple factors that go into making somebody resilient. So for instance, um, the the main protective factor, like I said before, with my own experience in, in pharma was relationships. So oftentimes when people have relationships that are meaningful to them, that, um, you know, are high quality, they are more resilient because they have that person that they can go to. So relationships is a huge protective factor. Optimism and the way we kind of view things is also a, an enormous protective factor that you can work on. And then of course, if you're part of a positive organization itself, that's a protective factor. So all of these things, there's multiple protective factors, but you can hit, just like PERMA, it's a really nice thing. You can hit what you really feel like you need in your life in order to improve or beef up um, your resilience. Yeah. All right. So you talked about the importance of relationships as a protective factor, right? And I think most people consider relationships as almost a means to an end, particularly from a commercial standpoint, right? It allows access. It allows um, the ability to convey information people don't think about it as you described it, which is something that makes you more resilient, right? So how do people go about thinking about building more of these high quality connections? Like what might people do to create those types of relationships so that they can be more resilient? Right, so the goal um, is to create high quality connections, right? So these mutual life-giving, energizing connections where you can give your own you know, your own opinions, you're going to have a lot more positive emotions in these relationships, but you're also going to have a lot more negative emotions with these people because you are able to share yourself authentically with them. You're able to challenge them with critical thinking. And so in order to build these 
relationships, you need to make sure that you're like task enabling. So you're helping each other accomplish some kind of thing. So yeah. task enabling is a huge thing. Building trust. So trust in a way that conveys to the person, I trust that you're going to do what you said you were going to do in that way. Um, also respectful engagement. So are you having respectful conversations with one another? You respect each other's time. So the entire, um, you know, respectful engagement is a huge thing. And then my favorite part of it is play. So play, especially in adults is we don't do this stuff anymore, right? We think about play is acceptable when we're kids and in school, it should be fun. But when we get out into the real world and we're in these big organizations, how often do we really have time to play? Yeah. And so play is where you really start to build high quality connections. So I'm a huge proponent of play. I think it's an important part yeah. of relationships. And, and so that's an interesting thing you said there, right? Because I think you think positive psychology, you think high quality connections, it's all... Pollyanna, rose-colored glasses stuff, right? And what I'm hearing you say is, no, there can be a healthy give and take, a healthy constructive tension feedback debate. That in and of itself is part of what makes um, a high-quality connection. Am I hearing that? The Absolutely, right way? 100%. Okay. Cool. And then what, what would play look like in, in this kind of context? How do you play with your coworkers? Well, I think you could do, you know, there's this, you know, team bonding activities where you're doing treasure hunts together, you're doing that, but you could make your meetings more fun. You could, there's actually a study out there about just putting like stupid play, toys in a meeting situation, just seeing what people do with the toys, um, that people are actually more engaged in their meetings when they're more fun when there are more opportunities to just get up and move with one another, you know, pro-social behaviors, those types of things, like recognizing um, the need for that and providing opportunities in organization is really huge. Or like being in a kickball league together or being, you know, playing in a softball league together, just taking time to do something that might not be work-related work yeah. that people might have fun with. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Cool. And then you talked earlier about kind of optimism as kind of an aspect of something that's important as a protective factor, right? Um, there's a balance there between being realistic, probably. Right. Um, but if you think about someone who has this optimistic kind of protective factor kind of enveloping their day to day, what are some things that those people do or think or say um, that would tell you this is an optimistic person versus someone who is maybe a little more pessimistic and doesn't um, have that same type of protective factor from an optimism standpoint. Right. So we look at that in like, we call that explanatory styles, what kind of style you have when you're explaining situations or when you're rationalizing situations to yourself. Okay. So somebody who is optimistic is going to look at something that went well as permanent, pervasive, and personal. Okay. Okay. Unpack each one of those. Oh, goodness. Permanent meaning like, so in, so if I was providing PD to a group and somebody came up to me halfway through the break and they, um, a, an optimistic person would say, um, you know, this is because of, this is because of the work I put into that. That's it. That's permanent. So you'd hear that praise as related to you and not just luck. It happened to be, they were having a great day. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, a pessimistic person looking at pervasive stuff, if you, if I had a situation where I got bad feedback or they gave me good feedback and they could say in a meeting, well, yes, the first half went really well, but the second half is bound to go bad. Okay. Right. 
an optimistic person is not going to do that. So They're the good gonna, vibes are going to continue. Right. Okay. Yes. And then personal, like I said before, like it's because I worked my butt off on this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and in bad situations, optimistic people don't look like it's not permanent in a bad situation. If you're an optimistic person, they're not pervasive and they're not too personal. Right. So um, if we were going on this, you know, professional de development feedback example, yeah. right. A, optimistic person's going to look at it, say you had maybe a, got some bad feedback you might think to yourself well sometimes i am going to get bad feedback and then what's the opportunity for me to learn there right 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 and then they would look at it not too pervasive way which is we still have the second half to get things turned around right so if we're getting some bad feedback halfway through we can still grow from here. There's still opportunity. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. So that's permanent. That's pervasive. And then the personal piece would be what? So if, if I had bad feedback in the half of my presentation and I'm an optimistic person, I would say, okay, well, okay, that's on me. So what can I do to make it less confusing for these people? So right. you're going to go immediately and you're going to yeah. work. You're accepting that this is on me. I'm going to make this less confusing for people or I'm going to work to fix the poor feedback at this point. So there's a there's an agency associated with it from an individual perspective. Right? For sure. So, you know, if you think old school kind of locus of control stuff, right? Right. Um, I have an internal locus of control, meaning I impact the environment around me, good, bad, or otherwise. Right. right? Um, versus an external locus of control, which is I'm sort of a passive recipient right. of things that happen, and it's just right. I hope it goes well because I don't have a ton of capability of actually impacting that. Right. Okay. Yes. Got it. Got it. And then. You mentioned goals, right? As really the, the root of what, how grit is defined, right? The, mm -hmm. the long-term nature of those goals. Um, how should people and, you know, leaders, executives who set goals for others, um, or I should say, hopefully involve their team in setting their own goals, right? What kind of advice would you have for those people um, who are setting goals, maybe working with other people to set their own goals, what kind of goals should they be setting? How should they be thinking about those goals, how they define them and sort of how they go about accomplishing them? Yeah. So, you know, everybody talks about smart goals and definitely that there's a lot of value in creating smart goals. Right. Right. Um, but there's some fairly new work uh, by Gabrielle Ottingen, who does a lot of work with mental contrasting and setting goals. So whoop is her way of setting goals. In, and Angela Duckworth fully supports this as well. Um, what is that acronym? What are so WHOOP means you have a wish. So okay. what is your overall wish? What is your outcome that you're looking for out of this wish? The other O is obstacles. So this is the different piece to setting goals is that then we're going to lay out and we're going to think about everything that's going to go wrong along the way, because inevitably it's, it's, things are going to happen, right? right? That's life. Right. And then the P part of WHOOP is plan. So then you make a plan for all of those obstacles. So, you know, for instance, you know, if I'm trying to lose 10 pounds, right? It doesn't- That's do, your wish. Yeah, yeah, okay. that's my wish. Um, or my wish could be that I wanna be more healthy. I want my cholesterol to decrease. My outcome is that I lose 10 pounds. And the obstacle is I'm not gonna get up in the morning. Right. I'm not going to get up to work out when I'm supposed to. Cooper is going to have activities that we need to drive him to. And we're not going to have that. There's going to be a, a gajillion things when you're trying to lose weight. But I go through and I make a plan for every single one of those. And then that turns my brain on so that when those things happen, 
I automatically go, I already have a plan for this. I can do this. And a lot of the research shows that if we don't do this mental contrasting, those goals are less achievable. So there's a lot of work on um, losing weight, uh, stopping smoking, um, how people come back from hip replacement surgery. There's a lot of research around this that simply just visualizing how we want it to go and how we want it to work isn't effective. Right. We have to add the mental contrasting component too. So my my thing is have the smart goals, but then add that mental contrasting in. So what's going to go wrong? Right. And then how are we going to prepare? And that's how you become more resilient, right? Yeah. You have a plan for when things go sideways. Yeah. So if you're working with an organization um, and they have maybe an overarching kind of corporate objective, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about sort of how people cascade goals, then the person is then trying to understand how their goals align with what the organization wants me to do, right? So if my goal is to uh, be promoted to a manager, Mm -hmm. right? I think what I'm hearing you say is, you know, maybe maybe my wish is I want to be fulfilled in my career, right? right? The outcome that would help me get there is contributing at a broader scope, having more of an impact, whatever, Right. right? Uh, maybe getting promoted is being part of that. That's maybe one outcome along that way of being more fulfilled. The obstacles might be, uh, you know, my manager isn't actively involved in my development. I'm not getting uh, the opportunities I need to demonstrate my capability. It right. might be the job description says you have to have three years and I only have two, right? right. And what I'm hearing you say is person who's engaging in this WHOOP-oriented goal-setting would sort of walk through all of those and yeah. kind of already have the discussion with themselves right. around how those obstacles can be overcome or maybe temporary. Um, and then they plan for how they're going to get around them so that when their manager goes, yeah, that's great, but I need you to get this report done immediately. Mm-hmm. They've already thought about how that is not uh, completely in the way of their goal. And they've developed a plan for that. Am I hearing that the right way? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and for all the parents out there, from itty-bitties all the way to college kids, this is a super amazing tool for parents to be able to have real-life conversations with your kids in a very, like, un-Ted Lasso or Potty, you know, Pollyanna way, yeah. right? Where you're preparing them. It's not always going to be great. Right. There are going to be things that happen, and but we need to have a plan for them. So just a side note for parents, it's a really great thing. But we do like Ted Lasso. Well, we love Ted Lasso, but I'm just saying... You might need to have a little bit of a plan. Yeah, very good. Okay, cool. And then, you know, just the the, the long-term versus short-term nature of the goal setting. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that. Like, because you could have a, you know, are we talking 10 years? Are we talking five years? Are we talking two years? Like, what is a long-term goal? And then is this common wisdom around setting kind of incremental goals to get to the long-term goal? Is that kind of consistent with what, the research and best practices are from a positive psychology standpoint. Absolutely. On the setting incremental goals for the long term. I don't think there's any kind of set rules on what constitutes a long term goal. It's just some kind of passionate area for you that you feel like you can tackle and that you need for you to be fulfilled and feel like you have accomplishment. That's the goal that I need to have. So when they're younger kids, a goal that's two weeks could be long term. As you get older, long-term might be defined in a different, much different way. Right. So I think it's only, that's going to be up to the person. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything in research 
that sh- says exactly defines what long term is. Okay. But I think the the key is the incremental goals to reach that long term goal. Right. For me, getting my doctorate that was crazy long term, right? Like it's been, you know, ten or twelve years of me talking about that. That's a long. That's a very long term goal. But yeah. there's also long term goals that are a month or two months. Yeah, makes sense. And then. I imagine someone listening to this might go, well, this feels a lot like picking a college major and I'm going to get locked into this long-term goal for the rest of my life. That's probably not true, no. <laughs> right? So how how do you think about changing goals, abandoning goals? You know, How do you think about ways in which these goals might evolve or change or shift? And is that like, okay, right. from a perseverance standpoint? Well, I think when... When you have a goal that you're having a really difficult time achieving, you know, maybe you have all of these plans, right, to help with your obstacles that you're going to inevitably experience. When that really starts to ding your well-being, when when you are having major life negatively re- negative reactions to that, it might be ch- time for you to kind of adjust your goal or yeah. to change your goal. Yeah. And that's okay. I mean, I know... I know we're talking about organizations, but in parenting, right? Sure. It's really, really important for our kids, you know, for us at least, if you start a sport, you start an instrument, you're going to be doing that sport or instrument for the duration you signed up to do it, right? right? We're not, that, that's how you learn grit, right? But then there's also a moment when you can say, okay, we tried guitar, that wasn't great. Now let's sample other things because when you are sampling other things, that's when you have, you widen your perspectives, you have more experiences in life that then you can bring to other situations. So, you know, sampling is also a really important part of life too. So I don't think anybody's saying you have a goal, you have to stick with that thing regardless of you're not gritty. Right. Modifications need to happen. Just like life sends us in different directions sometimes, we can be fluid in our goal setting too. Right. The point is you have a goal that you are working towards at some point in time. For sure. Right. And it can change. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Absolutely. Good. And then actually I just wanted to circle, maybe try to connect that to the high quality connections piece. I would imagine if you're having this conversation with yourself mm-hmm. about, well, I maybe need to change this goal or I think maybe my interests have shifted or whatever. Mm-hmm. Presumably these people with whom you have high quality connections would maybe be the kind of people who you would talk to about that. Oh, right? 100%. And they could maybe check you and go, well, you know, have we really actually really focused on this enough? How would you connect the goal setting with the high quality connection piece? Well, I think, you know, your person, the people you're going to have high quality connections with are the people that you can go to and say, Either I am crushing this goal, I'm doing really, really great, and I I want you to celebrate this with me. Right. Or they're also going to be the people that are going to say to you, okay, well, let's look at this. What are your interests? What are your strengths? How could we adjust this? There's somebody that you can be completely authentic with right. and collaborate on your own life right. at the same time. And so they're going to be your sounding board for you know, creating goals or adjusting goals in that way. And that's that collaborative piece too of high quality connections is having it not just be a solo event, right? right? That you're actually in the moment with each other to better each other and the situation that you're in. Does yeah. that make sense? It does. So those people might say to you, mm, it sounds like you might be taking that too personally. Oh, for sure. Or you might be seeing that as more pervasive than it actually is. Right. right? Or you might be seeing it as more permanent than it actually is. Right. Absolutely. You can have that discussion and dialogue with them. Yes. Got it. 
It's actually a really good exercise, and I think it's on the Michigan Positive Organization website to do a high-quality connection audit for yourself and just kind of go through and look at who are my high-quality connections in my life? Are those satisfied? Do I need to have more? Would that be more fulfilling for me? And who are they in an organization? Do I have any in my organization, for one? And then if I don't, how can I go and get them? Where is a place in an organization that I can start to foster those? Yeah. So it's really important to kind of be self-aware and understand if we have them, if we don't, and if we do, let's celebrate them. Yeah. As you know, the one of the most important questions that get asked on these engagement surveys, it tends to be the most predictive of an individual's level of engagement is, do I have a best friend at work? Yes there's, or no? Yes, there's a ton of research on that. I mean, that's, that's pretty much shorthand, I think, for some of this high-quality connection stuff that you talked about. Absolutely. Cool. Parting words of wisdom around uh, around developing grit, perseverance, resilience before we ask you the same questions we ask all of our guests here to wrap things up. Yeah, I think it's important to know that um, in order to do any of this, in order to be better at anything, whether to be grit, more grit, have more grit, or have be more resilience, be more resilient. Sorry, it's been a long day. Um, <laughs> You have to be self-aware. You have to understand what is it about you that makes you go, what motivates you, what things in your life you need to work on yourself, what things that you can offer to the world, and then understand that life is not going to go the way that you want. Oftentimes, as parents, the one question we get all the time is, what do you want for your child? And I would guarantee 90% of the time, the first thing parents say is, I want them to be happy, which, yes, that would be nice. But I think it's also it also sets a precedent for them that they have to be happy all the time, right? Or in an organization, what do we want for our employees? Like, well, we'd like them to be happy. We'd like them to be fulfilled at work, maybe. But then are we backing that up with the way that the everything is organized, right? Are we right. setting a precedent that then they have to be that way all the time right. and life's not that way. Right. So I think being open to opportunity, understanding um, that things might not go the way that you want and be willing to grow from those experiences. Those are all like kind of life hacks, I think for yeah. resilience. Yeah. And so one of the questions uh, we ask all of our guests is from an, from an interview standpoint, mm-hmm. Uh, what is the best question you've asked or been asked around this concept of resilience and grit? Like, has this ever come up in an interview when you're hiring teachers? Is that something you think about? It's something I think about, but unfortunately, I think this is kind of what I'm doing my doctorate on. Teacher resilience is really not something that we focus on, or and um, I think it's a shame. But uh, at Penn, I was asked once to describe a time when I was at my best and to do it in a way where I was discussing my character strengths that I demonstrated in that moment and whether it's personally or professionally. And in that moment, you can really, when somebody, it's it's like a positive introduction for yourself, right? You're describing yourself in that moment and it's really, really eye-opening and can really connect people in the interview when it's done well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then the the second question, and this is couldn't be any more up your alley as a yes, music person. I am. Um, what is your favorite song and what song should go on the mixtape? This is a tough one for me. I am a music person. Just for people that didn't know, my parents have a music like a actual 
sound recording room in their house. Um, I don't think I can narrow it down to one song. Maybe I can. I'm a Motown girl at heart. Detroit. So, yeah, right. Yeah. So I really enjoy anything Stevie Wonder, Patti LaBelle, a huge fan. Uh, For Once in My Life by Stevie Wonder. You wonder you can't go wrong. Signed, sealed, delivered. You can't go wrong. Um, it just jazzes you up. But if I was going to hit it from the other side, which would be like my rap, hip hop, when I need to be pumped up on my way into school, I would have to go Juicy by Biggie. It's an excellent choice. I can't argue with that. Huge contrast, but that's such as life, right? Yeah. All right, good. Thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom with us. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. It's fun. Thanks so much to Chad and Lauren Thompson for sharing such great insight about grit, resilience, and positive psychology. Maggie, this is such a cool topic for me to listen to the two of them because they both graduated from Wittenberg University, and that's my alma mater as well. So want to give a little tiger up shout out to the Wit world. And you know what? Hopefully one day we can go record in Lauren's parents' house since they have such a cool sounding recording studio. Yeah, Lauren, can you hook us up in the Thompson household to find a new podcast home while we're between offices? That would be great. Sounds like it would be a great environment since you have such great taste in music. You threw a little Motown out there and threw Stevie Wonder in with Motown. And then we also touched on some rap. So it sounds like you're going to have an awesome playlist for us to get into our podcast with. So be sure to check out the mixtape on Spotify with her recent additions. Yeah, Lauren, definitely give us some content so that we can sign, seal, and deliver this week's episode (laughs) to you. Be sure to check out the show notes for resources and links to learn more and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on LinkedIn at Mixed Talent and on Instagram at Mixed Talent. Thanks for being in the mix. We'll see you next week.